This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best, dare I say, fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. My name is Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Calm. Hi, everybody. Nice to talk to you again, Brian. Good to hear your voice, Elon. <laughs> Thank you. As always, we've got lots to talk about this week, a bunch of players that we want to discuss, analyze, but first... Just want to let everybody know that we have a Twitter account, at Keeping Carlson. Interesting tweets every week with advice. Also, we answer your questions. You can email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Just want to let you know ways you can get in contact with us. But let's get started. Brian, how was your week last week? It was good. Uh, so I, I hung on for a tie when I was against second place. So I stayed in first. And now I'm against third place, who I don't have a huge cushion on. Only six points. I'm up 6-4 right now and have had a pretty good week all around. We've split the skater categories and my MVP has been Jordan Stahl, who is finally producing regularly. It was a really tough to hang in there with him for like the first month, maybe even two months of the season. Uh, but this week he has a goal, three assists and two power play assists and has made me happy that I haven't sort of rashly traded or dropped him. Is this his first week of doing something? I haven't really been paying attention to Jordan Stahl. This is definitely the most significant production he's given me in a one-week period. And actually, it all came in one game in a 6-1 to win against Toronto. So really, you can't really see that as necessarily turning the corner. But he hasn't gone two games without scoring, two consecutive games without scoring since early December. And before that, he had also gone a while without going scoreless for two games in a row. So this isn't terribly new, no, but it seems like maybe he's established now and this is the biggest difference I think he's made in a matchup for me so far. Cool. Meanwhile, uh, maybe my opponent is saying the same thing about Nino Niederreiter, who had a goal and two assists, a power play assist, and eight shots on goal for him this week. And a couple of Islanders really doing well. Franz Nielsen with a goal, two assists, a power play goal, a power play assist, and Thomas Vanek with three assists. And a, a couple of performances on the other, on my opponent's team that I'd like to point out specifically, Francois Beauchemin, if you're in a league with block shots, he has 16 this week. Uh, as a reference point, the closest I'll get, I think, any with any of my players is maybe six block shots. And Thomas Plekenitz had 11 shots on goal in one game. That was Saturday night against Chicago. He didn't score, but he is someone that I think flies under the radar in the shots on goal category. But he generally averages right around three per game, and, and that puts him right up there. You know, not quite with the top of the league, but definitely better than average. It's interesting that you mentioned Boschman and his blocks, because in ESPN, when I click on 
the link to show me the available players, Boshaman's always near the top, and it's ranked by percentage owned. And so I'm always thinking, why is Boshaman so high? He hardly ever gets any points. But I guess it's because he has all of these blocks, and a bunch of leagues include blocks. Yeah, well, somehow he had 11 blocked shots against Phoenix on Saturday, which I, I don't know if that's some kind of record. I don't have those kind of numbers available to me. But that's insane. You know, usually... Uh, four is a lot, five is quite a bit, six or seven is crazy, uh, but 11, I, I can't recall the last time I saw that. Hmm. All right. Well, good for Boschman. Too bad he never gets any points, though. Yeah, right. And obviously, maybe that's why he's still available in the early. He's not doing a whole lot, nine points in 37 games. But, you know, those 11 blocks will single-handedly uh, win the blocks category. You know, the difference is about a spread of four right now between us. So that's two more points for him in a pretty close race for the league lead. Well, yeah, definitely. As for my goaltending, I've had some difficult strategic and moral decisions, and maybe they're not actually moral, but that's at least the way I'm framing them uh, about the way I've been playing it or benching my goalie. So maybe we'll get into more about that later. But the bottom line is I'm counting on the Flyers to score at least once on Sunday on whoever starts for the Rangers and also take fewer than 30 shots on goal uh, for me to hang on in the majority of the goalie stat categories. And if they could win the game too, I would really appreciate that. And I wouldn't have been in this situation if I hadn't benched Nicholas Backstrom when he started against Phoenix. Like, total shocker to me. He's had a miserable season, but he put up 39 saves on 40 shots, 975 save percentage, 1.0 goals against average, and the win. But then again, I also benched him on Saturday against Colorado, and he gave up three goals on 17 shots. So I will call that a wash between those two decisions. Yeah, it seems like this year it's usually the correct decision to bench Nicholas Backstrom if you don't need the saves. Oh, he's been terrible. I can't believe it. I actually kept him in my pool going into this season. I had the choice between Nicholas Backstrom and Cam Ward, and I kept Backstrom. Then in my draft, I picked Niemi first overall, and then first chance I got, I dropped Backstrom and picked up Varlamov, and it's been smooth sailing since. Yeah, you wouldn't dream of being able to make that move now. So you have Varlamov and Niemi, and I know you had some benching thoughts too, and again, maybe this is we should really blow this out into a full discussion, but maybe in a nutshell you can relate it to Tell us all how your week went in fantasy. Yeah, well, sure. Let me just give you my thoughts. I definitely don't think it's a moral decision. I was actually rolling my eyes a bit when I was reading your tweets about this earlier in the week. You know, to me, fantasy hockey is a strategy game. The goal is to win. No one is going to be judging you as long as you don't break the rules or cheat. It's completely within the rules. If you think you're ahead enough in wins and saves and you're happy with your save percentage and you want to leave goalies out... That's perfectly fine, in my opinion. Of course, the question is, are you confident that that's going to help you win? Which is a question that I had to ask myself this week, because I also ended up benching my goalies yesterday. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. But it's also a matter of luck, too. If you have two goalies starting on a Monday, say, or Monday, Tuesday, and your opponent's goalies only start later in the week, then you sort of get a sneak peek at what they're capable of. And it's not quite balanced in terms of who gets to play who and when. It's not on the same schedule, and that gives someone an unfair advantage just based on a scheduling quirk. Okay, yeah, I guess I didn't consider it that way. But your opponent will probably do that to you if they have the opportunity. Well, exactly. That's what I keep telling myself. It's sort of like a Sun Tzu art of war thing, and that I really should just do what I feel like. And I made the decision to bench backs from that one night and play Varlamov the next night. I, I don't know. I was sort of hedging. But anyway, back to you. 
Right, yeah. So I actually going into yesterday's action, I was up two nothing in wins. In my league it's a bit more simple. There's only wins and save percentage. So I was up two nothing in wins and my save percentage was point nine one seven compared to his, which was in the eight hundreds. So I decided I didn't need to play my goalies and risk bringing my save percentage down. And it worked out for me. Um, he ended up only having Craig Anderson play. So I had no risk at all of losing the wins category. And Anderson had an amazing game. It was actually, I calculated that he would have needed to have at least a 25 save shutout in order to win that category. And he did make over 25 saves, but he led one goal against Nashville. And that was enough to give me the win. So it was close. Okay, and so where do things stand overall? All right, so another great week for the juggernaut that is the Toronto Chalupa Batmans. At this point, I'm winning 4-1-2 and two in my matchup, so four wins, one loss, and two ties. But the, the four that I'm winning are pretty much locked down. I'm winning 18-10 goals, winning by a lot of shots, and I've won the two goalie categories already. And the three that I'm either losing or tying in are all super close. So I could still pull ahead in a couple of them today. And I once again have to give a shout out to some of my all-star players. This week, the MVP definitely goes to Paul Stastny, who unfortunately apparently got injured yesterday. So I'm a little concerned. I read that Patrick Waugh said that he'll be back on Tuesday. So I have my fingers crossed. But Stastny has provided for me in four games, two goals and five assists. So he's on fire. And it's sort of been a theme lately for me. Players who I was thinking of dropping at some point are really rewarding me for sticking with them. Scott Hartnell was the one last week. He had a goal and assist this week, so still being productive. Also, Martin St. Louis, three goals and an assist. Martin Hansel, two goals and two assists. Joe Pavelski just keeps on going. He's got three goals this week. So another strong week. And also, I always love to mention when Tobias Enstrom gets a goal, you know things are good. He got a goal, and we do know things are good in Tobias Enstrom land. I wonder, Brian, is Tobias Enstrom going to be affected positively or negatively, in your opinion, to Dustin Bufflin moving to forward? I actually thought you were going to take that sentence in a different direction. So my answer to the question you posed is, I really don't know. I'm not sure. They're not defense partners, so maybe now that means Enstrom might be on the ice at the same time as Bufflin, which would, I think, benefit Enstrom. I thought you were going to say... Because Enstrom isn't going to be in the Olympics this year, is that going to positively affect him? What do you think about that? Well, my, my answer is yes. That's the only reason I think he's still on my roster. Aside from blind faith, I keep telling myself, after the Olympics, he's going to be rested. All the other top players are going to be tired. So I'm hoping he'll be able to take advantage of that situation because he did say he was skipping the Olympics this year so he could focus on his NHL game. And all of his owners know that his NHL game is in need of some attention right now. Yeah, definitely. Also, quickly, before we move on, I want to mention another great player on my team, Redeem Verbata. I didn't even mention he had five assists this week, including three yesterday. Yeah, I'll, I'll join in with one more footnote. Henrik Lundqvist, we talked about him so often last week. Mm-hmm, about all of his slumping. Right. So, of course, I'm against him this week. And in three games, he's got two wins at 2.28 goals against average. He stopped 95 shots and his save percentage is 931. And he's got one more game on Sunday, or it might be Cam Talbot. But either way, uh, it's probably the worst time all season to face him. But for all of you Henrik Lundqvist owners listening, hopefully this is a sign of good things to come, finally. Right on. Okay, so let's now talk about our moves that we've made over the week. Anything interesting, Brian? Yeah, I added Jamie McGinn. So I dropped Matt Irwin, who I picked up to get shot blocks, and he had like some impressive 
looking scoring patterns. But in reality, uh, it just wasn't going well. His possession numbers were terrible. He had a healthy scratch every now and then. So I dropped him and picks up Jamie McGinn on the Colorado Avalanche. And he's been getting the play with Matt Duchesne on the top line ever since late December when P.A. Parento, who sits on my IR right now, uh, was injured. And since then, McGinn has been seeing another three or four minutes of ice time each night, including extra turns on the power play, and he is making the most of it. In fact, since Parento's injury, McGinn has points in five of his last seven games, and four of those are goals. And he got one for me this week, and I appreciate that. So I'm happy with that move. That's all I did, though. I I stood pat otherwise. What about you? Uh, Also a quiet week for me. Um, The one thing that I did was Patrick Eliash became IR eligible, so I moved him into the IR, and I added Mike Fisher a lot based on what you said about him last week. Lineups are aligning. Yeah, now that's Enstrom we have in common, Varlamov, Carlson, of course, and now Mike Fisher. Though I'm not sure how long Mike Fisher will last. He didn't exactly do that much for me. So he was on this huge streak, and then I grabbed him, and then he subsequently had two games without a point. Yesterday, he scored a goal against Ottawa. So I was actually going to ask you about whether I should make a move today. So I have Fisher in my lineup, and he's playing today. But I also have Cody Hodgson in my IR, and he's actually coming back and going to play today for Buffalo against Washington. So what do you think? Should I... Hold on to Hodgson in the IR, see how he does, and also let Fisher play in his spot against Minnesota? Or should I drop Fisher and put Hodgson in, in his place? Well, you you know how I feel about Hodgson. For the people listening, let's just remind, you traded Shifley for Hodgson because you had Eliash coming off the IR, right? No, surprisingly, that's one time that Eliash wasn't coming off the IR. That was Zetterberg. Okay, but so you would have dropped Shifley for nothing or traded him. You traded him for Hodgson, put him on the IR. And I didn't like the move because it meant Shifley was not available to you to pick up later. And I still don't like it. I still don't think Hodgson is worth your while. If you look at his numbers, he was cold prior to being injured. He had four points in 12 games before that. And his production tailed off really dramatically after about 16 games. He, he started off very strong, for sure. But it tailed, and I don't know how much this really has to do with it, but just after Thomas Vanek was traded, I don't know if there's more to it or not, because only about one quarter of his points came when he was playing with Thomas Vanek. But I don't know. His value over the last, like I said, 10-12 games does not make him anybody relevant to me right now. So you're saying I should leave Fisher in? leave Hodgson on the IR maybe until he does something to show me that I either want to keep him instead of Fisher or just drop him completely? Yeah. If it was my team, I would fully expect to drop Hodgson as my first move with Hodgson on my roster. Interesting. Okay. Well, luckily the rules are I could keep him on the IR until I need to make a move. So I guess I'll see. I'll keep Fisher in for today. Thanks for the tip. Another player, though, that I might want to use for that roster spot, I'm thinking of maybe dropping both Hodgson and Fisher and picking up Andrej Palat. We talked about him last week. He's been going streaking for Tampa Bay. And Brian, did you know Tampa Bay is playing five times next week? Yeah, I know. And that is something, actually, that I think I would prefer to both Fisher and Hodgson is to add Palat in five games. He just came off an eight-game point streak where he had four goals and six assists. And we also talked last week about what the Lightning are doing as a team and how everything seems to be going their way, especially for their top six forwards in the absence of Steven Samkos. Yeah, so okay. So I'll definitely have some moves to report next week then. I'm thinking then I will leave Fisher in today. 
see if Hodgson has, you know, three goals and three assists and gives me a really good reason to keep him in my lineup. And if he doesn't, and if Fisher doesn't also, maybe I'll just drop them both, pick up Palat, and have a huge week next week with that roster spot until Elish comes back to take it over. Cool. All right, so let's move on to some listener questions. We posted on Reddit, the Fantasy Hockey subreddit to be specific, asking if people had any questions they wanted to ask us to talk about on the show. So let's read a few of them. Bacon Manic wrote, Would you recommend picking up Andrew Shaw from Chicago? He was dropped in my league. Also drop Andrej Sekera for Nicholas Hajalmarsen. And he's in a weekly head-to-head league. Goals, assists, power play points, hits, blocks, shots on goal. His team name is the Floppy Woosters. Brian, what do you think, first of all, about Andrew Shaw? Yeah, actually, I had Shaw penciled in as a snoozer this week. He has one goal and no assists in his last 13 games played. And he's now playing on the fourth line, while the Blackhawks, I think, are looking to other players for scoring solutions, like Marcus Kruger. Even with such a dry spell, though, he amazingly still has a half-point-per-game pace on the season, and I figure that's where he'll end up by the end of the year. But right now, he's playing about three minutes less per game than he was at the start of the year, and seeing less regular turns on the power play, he played with Ben Smith and Brendan Bolig on Saturday night against Montreal. And for as long as that lasts, he's probably worthless to you. So to answer Bacon Manic's question, I would not recommend picking up Andrew Shaw. Yeah, he was picked up in my league this week. I wonder what's the deal with that. Because, yeah, he hasn't had a great game or done anything noteworthy. And guys like Palat, who we were just talking about, or other streaking players like Sabatka or Barkov were available. But the team ended up deciding to pick up Shaw. I'd love to just find out why, but I don't want to, you know, tell her to drop him and pick up someone better. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me, too. I think his name carries value because of the team he plays for and the line mates that he sometimes spends time with. But if you look at his career numbers, even with, like, fairly favorable shooting percentages, he's less than a half point per game player over the course of, you know, about 130 games in his career. So I have that in my head, too, that he is, like, a relevant fantasy guy, and I think maybe he has gone on a couple pretty relevant streaks. Like we said, he's been really cold lately, but he still has 21 points on the season. But I don't think now is the time to go after him. You want to catch him right as he starts, and I wouldn't jump at the opportunity to add him to my team right now, even given the name, team, and line mate value that he sometimes carries. Okay, and so what about Sekera for Hjalmarsson? Yeah, for Jamison, no, I wouldn't do it. You know, he and Sekera were both tabbed as real defensive defensemen type guys who stay at home, put up, you know, their 15, 20 points tops in a year. But Sekera is the one of the two who has most likely shed that label, at least for now. And me and you, we added and dropped him all through the first couple months of the season. But he still kept up a scoring pace that's more than half a point per game, which is really good for a defenseman, especially one with no pedigree like him. And the clincher for Sekera is that he sees about 48% of his team's power play time, which is more than double what he's used to, what he saw last year in Buffalo, and probably the reason for his surge in production. And meanwhile, Jomerson sees like 3% of Chicago's power play minutes, And yeah, he produces accordingly. In my opinion, he's lucky to have gotten to 18 points in 47 games played so far. And I would leave him in the free agent pool, I think, where he probably belongs. Although when blocks is a category, that is when he carries value. But I think, you know, as a one category guy, he's not worth it. All right. Yeah, I remember he was hot at the beginning of the season, and I haven't heard much from him since. I guess someone picked him up, and so he wasn't there for me to watch. But yeah, looking at his last... 
10 games or so. I see one to assist game, but aside from that, pretty much nothing. On to the next question. Man, you guys sometimes have hard names to read. Kalen Thenorth? <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't know. I, I think maybe it's someone named Kal in the North. Ah, okay, good one. You read it more like Absinthe North. Right, okay, well, thanks for your help, Brian. So, Call in the North, is that a Game of Thrones reference? Call Drogo? Okay. With Stamkos returning soon, is Philpula worth holding on to? So, he's in a 20-team head-to-head league, standard categories. If I could take a shot at this, I would think in a 20-team league, there's room for Philpula. What do you think? Yeah, I do, and I'll tell you why. But first, let's look at the basic numbers, the ones that are obviously the most relevant. When Stamkos was in the lineup, Philpula had 12 points and 24 shots on goal in 17 games played. With Stamkos out of the lineup, Philpula has 24 points in 28 games played and 64 shots on goal in that span. So both his point paces and his shots on goal have jumped a fair bit without Stamkos in the lineup. But yeah, in a 20-team league, he still holds real value, even if those paces drop back down again to where they were at the start of the season. Philpula, he's due to regress anyway, and it's not so much because of Stamkos, but because of some good luck that's been reflected in his shooting percentage, which is at 20% right now, about one and a half times his career success rate. And yeah, he also won't do much for you on penalty minutes, but there's no way to me that he just becomes free agent fodder once he goes back to being Tampa's second-line center. And we've already talked about Pallad, and we've talked about Tyler Johnson also previously. You know, it seems like the entire Lightning top six is producing right now, and hopefully that'll continue into Samco's return, and all these guys will maintain some degree of their fantasy success to this point. Right, so you're saying basically, maybe Kyle in the North asked the wrong question. He is worth holding on to, but maybe he's a good sell-high option at this point, since he's producing a bit higher than what should be expected for him to continue doing? Yeah, sure. If you can trade him for somebody who has established themselves at his current pace, you know, 24 points in 28 games played is what? About 0.86 points per game. If you can trade him for somebody who's done that over the course of, you know, two or three full seasons, I I would jump all over that if you could. Uh, But otherwise, if you can't trade him, I would still hang on to him. I think his regular pace is about, you know, about 0.7 points per game, which is nothing to sneeze at. And again, this isn't a new situation. I think he's done really well in that Tampa has been a better situation for him than he had in Detroit. All right, let's take one more Reddit question, and then we'll go to one Twitter question. So, Fourth's Charter asks, I may be too late, but I'd love to know what you guys think of Jaden Schwartz. I've owned him during his recent tear, but he appears to be slowing down, and Steen will be back soon. It is a dynasty league as well. Is he worth holding on to even during a cold streak just for his potential? Thanks. And his team name is Sharp NATO, and he's in eight man league, so the opposite of what we were just talking about. Head to head, points, goals, assists, power by points, shots on goal, blocks, hits. Yeah, so maybe Force Charter is late, but we are too. We have no excuse to have not really focused in on Jaden Schwartz yet so far this year. So here's a quick recap of his season to date. He's been amazing especially considering that he probably went undrafted in the large majority of fantasy leagues. His numbers in 42 games, he scored 15 goals and 17 assists, including five power play points. And from mid-November to early January in a stretch of 19 games played, he scored at least a point in 16 of those. And maybe part of this is because he does play alongside Alex Steen and David Backus. 
and some of Steen's puck luck is probably to credit for Schwartz's success. The Blues are scoring at a rate that is almost 5% more successful than the league average when Jaden Schwartz is on the ice, but to his credit, he has produced both with and without Alex Steen. Right now, he's pointless in three games, which is small potatoes compared to what he's probably done for your fantasy team to this point. But yeah, the trend is definitely worth keeping an eye on. I noticed that you're hesitant about Alex Steen coming back and what that might do to Schwartz's production. I think the question is whether Alex Steen will bring the luck with him that he had that helped him lead the league in goal scoring through the first chunk of the season this year. Schwartz is on an amazing pace and is likely unsustainable. But that's a trend that Alex Steen and the Blues have bucked for most of the year. And in a dynasty league, I would definitely have more patience for him than in a one-year league. And of course, it depends on who else is available in your league now. But I don't think you would be wrong to hang on to him for at least a little while longer. Yeah, I guess the one thing is since it's an eight-man league, there might be some interesting-looking players in the free agent market. So it'd be interesting to see who you could drop him for. But yeah, I mean, I wish I had him. Me too. Well, actually, I'm not sure if I do. My team's pretty awesome. I remember he was actually a free agent for a long time, and I was always wondering, eh, why would anyone take him? He's not that special. And then someone picked him up, and then he really took off. And I guess for this stretch that you're talking about, like November to uh, January. Yeah, I have the same regret. I saw him picked up on the wire, and it was just sort of like, eh, you know, okay, interesting. You know, that won't last long. But yeah, no, he's been a fixture on this guy's roster the whole time, and there's no way I have a shot at him now. All right, one quick question from Twitter. At the Disciple 11, by the way, Disciple 11, thanks for your support of the show. You've been tweeting to us a lot. So he asks, can you rank these defensemen for a head-to-head points league? Lyles, Voinov, Emelin, Eric Johnson. So pretty basic question. Who do you think of these four is going to get the most points going forward for the rest of the season? I give a very basic answer to it didn't take me long. And without, I don't think I need to justify this completely. And I'll give you my order. Eric Johnson, Slava Voinov. John Michael Lyles, and Alexei Amelin is how I ranked those players. All right. Yeah, Eric Johnson also is someone who was in my free agent pool for a long time, and I was considering grabbing him, and maybe I'm regretting not. He's been doing really well on Colorado. Yeah, he was someone that I added and dropped a lot over the course of the first few months. Usually when Roman Josie was hurt or other guys were day-to-day, he was really my first pickup, uh, but now he's gone for good. He's the one that got away. But you know who is still available? One of his defenseman teammates, Andre Benoit, he's got five points in his last five games, six points in his last seven games. Not sure where that's coming from. Brian, any reason to think that Benoit could potentially keep this up to some extent? No, not really. He did something not quite as impressive, but similar. He was producing regularly earlier in the season, and that's because he's he's become a favorite of Patrick Waugh. You know, he was a marginal defenseman in the Ottawa Senators system, maybe wrongfully, but suddenly he's getting, you know, top pairing minutes in Colorado. And of course, he's going to capitalize on that at least a little bit. But you can see between when he was producing at the beginning of the season and when he's producing now, there was a long gap. And that would have hurt you, you know, for about eight or nine fantasy weeks. And that sort of thing isn't worth hanging on to to get one good week or even two good weeks out of a guy. Right, so maybe not someone to think about keeping on your roster long-term, but if you get a defenseman injury and you need a short-term pickup, Benoit does have this streak going right now. Just a little PSA for all of our listeners. Yeah, he is one of the hotter defensemen in the league, and we're actually going to talk about another Colorado defenseman later in the show, too. We are? Ooh, can't wait. Can you name another Colorado defenseman? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Okay, Tyson Berry. 
Good one. Bingo. That's it. Woo. Well, let's hear about him. Okay, let's. So Tyson Barry is a guy who was probably drafted in many sort of deepish leagues this year as kind of a sleeper defenseman who was primed to break out. And the problem was the opposite of Andre Benoit, who Patrick Waugh really liked. Patrick Waugh didn't really seem to feel that way about Tyson Barry. And so he spent nearly 20 games this year in the press box as a healthy scratch. In the first 17 games that he got into this year, he had only three assists to his name uh, and no meaningful peripheral stats either. But now he has eight points in 11 games since mid-December and is apparently getting into games more regularly because he's being showcased for trade. So if you're in a deep keeper league where you would keep like a third or a fourth defenseman, maybe you find his owner who's looking at all the times he's been healthy scratch and doesn't know that maybe he's about to be traded and try and capitalize that, you know, maybe Barry's value has dipped but I think he's showing that he's ready to produce in the right situation. And according to, I'm getting this information from Adrian Dater, the Avs beat writer, but I think he will be traded to a better situation sometime soon. And maybe now is the time that you can take advantage of something like that. Yeah, well, he's a free agent in my league, so I've just added him to my watch list and I'll keep watching. Who watches the watch list? You do. I do. I watch my watch list. That's what it's for. That's pretty simple. That would be a very short graphic novel. (laughs) who watches the watch list elon does all right well now we have to make a kickstarter and make this novel one page (laughs) so actually brian there is one more question from elon dubrovsky on the podcast he asks who do you think is a better keeper for next year so okay by the way for those of you who don't know i'm elon dubrovsky that's my name (laughs) i have four forward keepers in my league three of them are already pretty much locked in i would think Zetterberg, Martin St. Louis, Phil Kessel. Maybe you'll disagree, actually. Maybe you'll say that I should not keep St. Louis and instead keep both of these guys. But I've got two players who I'm thinking are potentials as keepers. Joe Pavelski, who's done amazing this year, almost a point per game. Andy Vander Kane, who hasn't been doing as amazing, though he did start heating up when he came back from his last injury. Unfortunately, now he's once again day to day. Who do you like better to keep for next year between Pavelski and Kane? Or do you think I should keep both of them and drop Martin St. Louis? It's so hard to say to drop Marty St. Louis because I won't believe that he will ever decline in production until I see it. Uh, But maybe, you know, between him and Zetterberg, you should think about getting younger because you seem to have a really comfortable lead right now. And it seems like maybe you could make up for the difference if you drop one of them and keep a younger guy. You could make up for the difference in drafting in your league. But that's very specific to you. In general terms, let's, you know, just straight up between Pavelski and Kane, well... One is eligible for right wing, one is eligible for left wing. So in your individual situation, I think it's about even, but in a general sense, uh, that might be the deciding factor. I would be inclined to wait till the end of the season, but my gut says Evander Kane. You know, he's a first line player, whereas Joe Pavelski, as long as Joe Thornton is around, is a second or third line player. And then even when Joe Thornton is declining, Logan Couture will take over as the first-line center in San Jose. Also, both players have established themselves as guys who can score 20 or 25 goals, but Evander Kane's ceiling is definitely higher than Pavelski's. He scored 30. He was on a 35-goal pace last year, and goals are harder to come by than assists, and I like to focus on keepers that score goals. So my personal preference would be Evander Kane, but the injury situation is a little concerning, and I would wait to see how the rest of the season plays out and how he's feeling going into the offseason before making that final decision. 
Okay, that's good advice. I'm going to drop a bomb on you right now. Oh, no. Did you know that Joe Pavelski has 21 goals in 46 games so far this season? Yes, I did, because when I was looking at his numbers, I noticed that. But I forgot that we still have, like, 40 games left to go in the season. So, no, I didn't know that, and that makes the whole thing that much more interesting. Because what what's the most goals he scored in a season before this? 31 in 2011-2012. So he's on pace to shatter that record. And he's also on pace, I should mention, to shatter his points record of 66, because right now he has 21 goals, 22 assists for 43 points in 46 games, so almost a point per game. That's why I ask, Brian. I mean, like, originally I drafted Evander Kane ahead of Pavelski. Kane was my first forward draft pick this season. I basically drafted Niemi first round, Evander Kane second round. Pavelski I grabbed a couple of rounds later. I didn't think it was going to be a question, but Pavelski has just been on fire for so long. Yeah, his shooting percentage is higher than it normally is, and he has seen an increased role since Logan Couture has been injured, but it is a lot closer than obviously my gut feels like it is. Again, like maybe the numbers might say they're about equivalent, but my general feeling is that Kane is the more valuable long-term keeper, but it is really close. It's a lot closer than I think a lot of people would realize at first glance. Okay, well, a good situation to be in. And yeah, my gut also says Evander Kane, especially because he also brings a lot of shots which is a category in my league. But yeah, it'll be something to monitor over the rest of the season. We'll probably be discussing this in our off-season episodes of Keeping Carlson, where there won't be much else to discuss, except for who I should keep. All right, well, that's our questions segment for the week. Brian, why don't you tell us about some players you've been looking into over the past few days? Sure. Well, I didn't mention in my week recap that the star of my fantasy week was Darcy Kemper of the Minnesota Wild, He stopped 39 of 40 shots and then four more in the shootout to pick up a win against the LA Kings, a 975 save percentage, 0.93 goals against average. And that's a huge bounce back from his earlier call-up opportunities. I mentioned this on Twitter, actually, and I really meant to talk about him before he went in and played because the Wilds have really, as we talked about, Backstrom really doesn't have much place being in net right now. I don't know what the problem is. But they have no reason not to try out Kemper. I mean, he had a really rough time earlier in the season when he was called up. But since then, he's been, like, tearing up the AHL. He has amazing numbers. And the Wild must be at least as curious as I am to see whether he can replicate those numbers in the NHL. I think he'll be starting against Nashville on Sunday, which will be a good chance to see if he can keep this going. And so as long as Harding is out, and if you're desperate for a goalie, I think having Darcy Kemper is like a third goalie option is a really good one. Even a fourth goalie option, if you want to be really careful. Yeah, I didn't even know you had him in your lineup. Oh, I guess I didn't mention. Yeah, I picked him up when I put Harding on the IR. Huh. All right. Well, yeah, so potentially a good goalie option in a deep goalie league, especially if Backstrom's going to keep doing horribly. Yeah, even with Backstrom's standout game against Phoenix, he's been awful in well over half his starts and mediocre at best in most of the remainder. Maybe he's had like three or four really reasonable starts so far this year, and he's been in like 18. Last week, we gave props to Ryan Suter for just doing well, and this week, I want to give props to John Tavares for just giving well. I'm sure all his owners feel really good about it already. Uh, He's tied for second in the league with Patrick Keaton, points scored behind Sidney Crosby. He's tied for 12th in goals with 20, and he's tied for 6th in assists with 34. He's put up a point per game in each of his last two seasons, But what's different here is this is his fifth season, and it looks like he's going to exceed the point-per-game mark substantially for the first time 
And of course, I would expect it would be far from the last time he does this. And another Islander that I, I just wanted to mention, because I don't think people talk about him as much since he got traded from Buffalo, but Thomas Vonick, he just saw a 10-game point streak end on Saturday. And during that streak, he had 15 points, 5 goals, 10 assists, 2 power play goals, 3 power play assists, and about 3 shots per game. So the Islanders are scoring. They had a terrible time over a stretch of about 10 or 11 games where they were talking about the coach getting fired. But it seems like everybody is back on track there. And so if there are any wayward Islanders on your waiver wire, you know, maybe take a look. Well, yeah, I love that Islanders top line. Tavares, Vanek, and my player Kyle Ocposo have been doing really well. I will be really sad the day that I read on Rotowire that the coach is putting Ocposo on another line. And hopefully for you, that won't happen. I don't see any reason for that to happen. So fingers crossed. A player I wanted to get your thoughts on, someone I mentioned earlier in the show when we were discussing players that maybe people could be grabbing instead of the likes of Andrew Shaw. Vladimir Sabatka on St. Louis is really doing well right now. And I wanted to see what you think about whether or not he'll be able to sustain this. If I'm not mistaken, he has nine points in his last seven games for the Blues, which is definitely something of note. So Vladimir Sabatka, where did he come from? And is he going to hold on to it? Well, maybe actually we can call back to our earlier conversation about Jaden Schwartz, because I think they're both players who have been affected in a sort of a chain reaction from Alex Steen's injury, because when Steen went out, it was Jaden Schwartz that moved up to play on the top line with TJ Oshie and David Backus in St. Louis. And that left a hole at second line center, which is pretty much where Sabatka appears to have stepped in next to Schwartz's old line mates, Patrick Berglund and Vladimir Tarasenko. And I guess that's been a positive turn for him too, especially lately. And you also noticed something about his power play time. Well, yeah, just that he's getting some. So a couple of games ago against Calgary, he played on the power play for five minutes and 20 seconds, which was second on the team behind like Piet Rangelo and Shattenkirk. So he's definitely someone who's getting a lot of opportunity on St. Louis his line is doing really well right now. So, you know, I feel like sometimes on this show, I recommend people and then they cool down right away. I don't have the Brian touch, but he's definitely someone I would recommend keeping on your watch list. Yeah, there's definitely a correlation between his surge in points and the change in his role. Like you said, being on the power play and also uh, being in not in a depth role, but being like a second line center. All right, we are rolling Let's move on to our patented snoozers segment where you tell us about a player or two who you may have on your roster and not realize that he doesn't deserve to be there anymore. So do you have any snoozers for us this week? Sure, I've got two. And the first one, if you still have this guy on your roster, then like that's really on you. Like This guy barely qualifies because he's been slumping for so long now. Uh, Michael Delzato, he's been an occasional healthy scratch. And he has 10 points only in 36 games played so far, which is a real disappointment to Pulis, who thought they were getting a 40-point guy on draft day. It's been interesting to me that in a coaching change that saw Alain Vigneault come to the Rangers, and he's sort of a guy who has a reputation from Vancouver of getting his defensemen involved in the offense. Since that coaching change, Delzato has more or less wilted. He's seen a decrease in minutes across the board, including power play time, and his peripherals are as irrelevant as his point production. And yeah, he did have a recent three-game point streak, but that is still no justification for him being on your roster in pretty much any fantasy league right now. Wow, Brian, that's sort of a 
gutsy pick to put as a snoozer now. I feel like maybe not many people own him, but people are eyeing him right now as a potential pickup because of his three points in his last four games. You don't think that he's someone that's maybe going to pick it up for this second half of the year? I don't know why he would. You know, it's that take away those three points in three games and you have seven points in 33 games. So maybe he will. If he's in the free agent pool, yeah, then this is the time you keep an eye on him. But if he's on your team, then I think it's past time that you let him go. I just imagine, I don't have him on my team, but I'd imagine it's hard to drop someone who's just maybe helped you win your week in defense points, at least, if that's a category. Well, you know, assuming there is, you know, a slightly better option available. I should mention also those three points were all on the power play. Yeah, well, you know, the Rangers seem to have picked it up as a team this week you know, just from watching the way Lundqvist has been playing. So maybe the whole team, you know, uh, there's been trouble with a couple of their players over the course of the season. I guess that's a bigger trend to keep an eye on. And so maybe, yes, maybe it's like I'm late in calling him a snoozer or I guess not right in calling him a snoozer. I guess, you know, we'll, we'll check in in a week or two and see how he's doing. Yeah, he's definitely interesting to watch. I also wonder if maybe he'll be a potential person to get traded just because like you say he's been a healthy scratch for so many games maybe there's another team that will want him and it'll be interesting to see what that does for his value if that happens there's been a whole lot of talk about him being traded and i can't remember all of the teams involved i remember ottawa was one of the teams rumored and i don't understand his trade value i think he's mostly you know not so defensively responsible and not really established to me at least he hasn't shown enough to be considered like a puck moving defenseman who can put up you know 30 40 points per season so i I don't know or understand what the trade market is for him but maybe that'll help and from all that i've read I would be maybe a little surprised if he was still on the Rangers by the end of the year. But obviously, that's not my area of expertise. Right. Yeah, I look forward to our episode where we discuss all the trades that happen at the trade deadline. I think that'll be a lot of fun. For sure. You mean the fantasy trade deadline, right? Uh, No, but that'll be fun, too. Both two trade deadlines. Oh, man, so much excitement. But we still have excitement in this episode because you have another snoozer for us, don't you? Yeah, Tyler Toffoli, who I heralded earlier in the year when he was called up and with the caveat that he was being called up and he still wasn't seeing a lot of minutes and I've sort of warned on his waning production already but I think it's fair to say that now it might be official he's pointless in 10 straight games he's only been on the score sheet once in the last 14 games and he's really hovering around 10 minutes a night and he's still putting shots on net but his shot percentage right now would indicate that he's still not yet felt the full blowback from the luck he received during the first 18 or so games that he played when he was producing at a friendly pace for Pulis. Want to give us a quick lightning round before we close out the show? Okay, let's do it. Are we ready? I mean, I'm ready. Okay, Nick Bonino. I mean, this really isn't any big surprise, I think, for anyone. We brought him up way back, though, at the start of the year. He had a a respectable 8 points in 14 games played during the month of October, But he's become like almost a score sheet fixture in Anaheim. And believe it or not, he has 33 points in 47 games played so far this year on a Ducks team that is quacking. I think that's what we say when the Ducks are doing well, unfortunately for them. But anyway, in his last six games alone, Benino has three goals and five assists, including four points on the power play. And he's really in his first full season as a lineup regular, despite being 26 years old, which might be one of the reasons for his success so far this year. 
One thing that jumps out when I look at his numbers, and it does for many Ducks right now, is his PDO. His team is scoring on more than 10% of shots taken while he's on the ice, which Anaheim has been doing all year, sure, but it's also at least a full percentage point above every team other than the Blues, and that's significant. That tells me that they're getting a little bit lucky. As a team, the Ducks are about 3% above the league average shooting percentage, and they're probably due for some regression. It's tempting to try and sell high on Benino. If you can get someone who legitimately produces at this pace for, like, you know, an established two or three years. Uh, but otherwise, I would happily ride him out until that happens. So, yeah, for a second when you mentioned Benino, I was thinking to myself, wait, didn't we just talk about him recently? But I realized, no, that was Kyle Palmieri, another guy on Anaheim who was heating up at the time that maybe wasn't drafted in most leagues. Is Benino now your replacement for Palmieri, or are they both still doing well? No, they are both still doing well. In fact, they're line mates, so their fates are sort of tied. And, you know, Palmieri, I credited being on the top line. He's not on the top line right now. He's on the line with Benino and Jacob Silverberg, which is a great line. I would happily have any one of those three guys. It's Matt Bolesky playing on the top line with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry right now. So I don't know. Keep an eye on him. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but as for your point on Palmieri, I, I think the Ducks, they, they have, you know, a few guys, a few young guys who are just really maturing at the right time right now. And like I said, the team is experiencing sort of an inordinate amount of luck and it shouldn't last. Man, yeah. Just as an example of this luck, the aforementioned Matt Bolesky, he's got seven points in his last six games. Well, and look who he's playing with, right? All right, give us one more player. Okay, let's close out the show with Gustav Nyquist. And we mentioned his name, and a lot of people did, as a good pickup after he put up a couple multi-point games after he was called up from the minors. He's supposed to be someone with Detroit that's going to be a part of their core in years to come. So I guess the question is, is he ready in a lot of deep keeper leagues? He's already on teams and expected to produce this year uh, and maybe next. But in recent weeks, he's been kind of a fantasy non-factor. He had seven points in his first eight games, which had everyone talking, including us. But since then, he scored just one goal and two assists for three points in his last 12 games. What confuses me a little bit is that he's still seeing substantial power play time, and he's playing alongside Zetterberg and sometimes Albertson too. So hope isn't lost. I wouldn't give up on him just yet because they're still relying on him to play an offensive role in the top six and on the power play. But it is something to be aware of if you set your lineups weekly or, you know, if there's a full slate of games one night that maybe he's not an automatic start at this point. And that will do it for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Hopefully we've given you some tips on players to watch, players maybe grab, players to drop. We're here for you. And if you want to be here for us, or I guess there for us, do us a favor. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps out the show. Also, tell a friend. Spread the word. We are pretty confident that we have the best fantasy hockey podcast out there, but I don't think that many people know about it yet. So maybe you, our faithful listeners, can help us with that. We need to get it out there. So yeah, thanks for listening. Don't forget you can email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. We'd also love just feedback on what you think about the show, things we could be doing differently. Or you could tweet at us, Fantasy Hockey Questions, at Keeping Carlson. And we'd be remiss, as always, if we didn't shout out to the resources that we use in researching the show, uh, specifically extraskater.com, leftwinglock.com, Dubber Hockey's Frozen Pool, and, of course, Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Yeah, we couldn't do it without you guys. Please don't ask us for money. 
So let's cue that outro music, which is eerily similar to our intro music. Brian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for hosting us. We will talk to you all next week. Be safe and have a happy fantasy hockey week. Good luck, everybody. I don't know why I said be safe. <laughs> it's, it's icy out there. <laughs> May your players be safe. Right. <laughs>